Peace and welcome to the first episode of At the Crossroads, Intersections in African Spirituality. I am the creator and host, Ia Darasia, and I am so excited to finally develop this podcast that has been stirring in my mind and my heart for some time now. In this first episode, I'm going to share with you some of the topics that this podcast will be covering, and I'll also share some background on myself and how I connected to African spirituality. At the Crossroads, Intersections in African Spirituality looks at the ways African spirituality intersects with healing, movement, and culture, and informs and works in the lives of practitioners to support resilience, resistance, and liberation. In African spirituality, the Crossroads is a place of power where the physical and spiritual worlds converge and intersect. Similarly, we will be discussing various intersections in African spirituality, and my hope is that these discussions and upcoming interviews will empower you each time you tune in. One way we will look at these intersections is through the lens of African spirituality as both a tool and a weapon for fighting white supremacy and oppression. There are so many ways historically, as well as in our current times, that African spirituality and its spiritual technologies are understood to be not only effective in individual healing and resolving individual problems, but also provides a way to fight against our collective lived oppression. So on this podcast, we are going to unpack this. How has African spirituality and its technologies been used to fight oppression historically? How are folks using it now? And what is accessible to all of us who are people of African descent, regardless of initiation status? Another topic we will be touching on regularly is the ways that African spirituality informs the lives of practitioners. Not all of us are working priests and godparents. Many of us are educators, cultural workers, artists, medical practitioners, farmers, writers, politicians, sex workers, and anything else that you can think of. So how does African spirituality influence the ways that folks move and work in these various spaces? How does it inform the work that practitioners produce? And third, Because in African spirituality, we like doing things in threes, and I'll explain why on some upcoming episodes. But we are going to take a look at some of the complexities of our practice in African spirituality. Many times, though people are speaking up more now, certain hot topics have been swept under the rug. But here, we will take some time to unpack certain topics like Why are some African spiritual systems considered superior to others? How does colorism play a role in our traditions and how we imagine and interact with our deities and one another? And so many more topics. And from time to time, I will also bring up one of my favorite topics, astrology. And when I do, it'll always be centered on our main themes of resilience, resistance, and liberation. The starting place of this podcast is that African spirituality provides healing, resilience, ways to resist oppression, and create a liberated world. I am so excited to bring this podcast to you, and I hope that as we move on this journey together, 
that you will send me your ideas, that you will let me know what you like, what you want to hear, and who I should have on the show. Peace. So in this first episode of the podcast, I wanted to take some time to just share who I am and how I got connected to African spirituality. So my name is Darasia. I was born and raised in Philly, where I still live, and I have been an educator for about 14 years, and I'm also an activist and an organizer with the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement and the New African People's Organization. So as far as how I got connected into African spirituality, I actually found African spirituality when I was a student in African-American studies at Temple University. Shout out to TUFM all day, every day. Um, But before that, I was involved in the church. So I didn't grow up in a religious background at all. Um, until I was nine years old, my family, we really didn't go to church. Um, my mom started taking me to church when I was about nine. And to be honest, I I just really wasn't feeling it. (laughs) I just, it just was weird to me. Like it just, you know, it just, they were singing about blood. I didn't get it. Why is that man hanging on a cross? I don't get it. It just was, it was odd. I, I just didn't understand. Um, I would say I really didn't embrace Christianity until I was a teenager. And once I was in, I was all in. So I became really active and committed in my youth group. Um, When I was in, um, when I graduated from high school, I did two years of ministry work before I went to college. And then I went to a Christian university. So I was like all I was all in. (laughs) I was all in. And it had been like prophesied over me that I was going to be in full-time ministry. So that was like my aim. I didn't know exactly how it was going to look. You know, I was still really young. um, But like, that was like my goal. Like I'm going to be in full-time ministry. So it was when I was about 21, 20, yeah, like 2021, I started to have what is considered a crisis of faith. So in Christianity, that's like when you start to have doubts about your faith. And for some people, it comes when like something bad happens in their life and they're like, you know, how could God allow this to happen? I don't know if God is real. But for me, it really came about through um, just really learning more about church history. It was really learning that, you know, as a perfect example. So the Bible, right? You know, I was taught it was the word of God. I was never, ever taught that after Jesus died and, you know, Christianity started, that there were different brands of Christianity and they didn't all agree on like what books were inspired by God and and which ones weren't. Like they, there was no, there was not an agreement, you know? So this idea of like, well, this is the word of God, like, you know, which is kind of handed down from heaven. No, like people decided, (laughs) people, people decided like, what's this going to be? Is this going to be in it? Is is this not going to be in it? And, you know, it was really in in 325 when um, the Roman emperor, 
when he um, converted to Christianity, he was the one that called a council and basically was like, listen, if this is going to be the state religion, I need this to be cohesive. So y'all have to decide like what books are going to be in it, what's going to be orthodox, what's going to be heretical, because, you know, in order for this to function as a state religion, it just has to be cohesive. So I didn't know all that. Not only did I not know all that, but I didn't know, you know, that some of the early church fathers had really, really, really oppressive um, beliefs about women, (laughs) um, about, you know, people who were quote unquote pagans, you know, non-believers. And I'm like, how are you saying, you know, you believe in a God of love and this is what you think about people. And then, you know, just looking at the way, you know, the church, you know, um, of course, I already knew about the involvement in slavery, <laughs> but then, you know, but I didn't know about, you know, colonization in Africa and, and you know, crusades. And it was just like, wait a minute now, this is, this is kind of, this is kind of crazy. And, you know, for me, it was like, I can, um, I know that there's bad people in the world. So it wasn't so much about um, the, the fact that people had done this. For me, it was just really just going back to, you know, how do we know that the books that have been presented didn't have some type of political, you know, some type of political aim, some type of political agenda? Like, after all, it was the emperor who, you know, who, who, you know, said, hey, let's have this council to meet and make these decisions. There's no way they can make decisions to have books included that would say, you know, um, you know, fuck the emperor. Like you just can't have that in there, right? <laughs> you know, because the emperor is the one that's put the council together. So it was just like, you know, questioning all of that. And, you know, the church community that I was in at the time, they really honestly weren't open to my questions. They were just kind of like, you know, you have to have faith and you have to believe, and this is the word of God, and that's how it is. You just have to believe it. And I was just really, really, really struggling in my head. And so I decided to leave that university. And I left like really abruptly. So I didn't even know where I was going to go. So I ended up um, doing a semester at community college so I could figure out like what my next move was. And so while I was there, I said, you know what? Um, I think I want to major in African-American studies and religion. I think I want to learn about what African people did, how they lived, what they believed before slavery, because I really didn't know anything about it. And I didn't even know about other religions, to be honest. Everything that I knew about other religions was based off of what I knew in Christianity. You know, Islam, bad, going to hell. Buddhism, bad, they're going to hell. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) um, African religion, voodoo, voodoo dolls, they definitely going to hell. Like, you know, like that's really all I knew. I was like, okay, I really would love to learn about African religion and even other religions, you know, um, from their perspective, you know, what do Muslims say about Islam? What do Buddhists say about Buddhism? Um, as opposed to, you know, Christians telling me this is what people believe and this is what they do and all of that. So, um, was looking at different black studies programs, landed on Temple, um, not just because it was local, but, you know, I saw classes, um, on Temple's website in their course offerings, I just wasn't seeing anywhere else. You know, I didn't see any other school that was offering African psychology. I didn't see any school 
that was offering classes on the black child or the black woman or the black man. Like I didn't see that anywhere else. And so I was like, this seems unique. And so I'm going to go here. Um, And they did have classes on African religion as well. So I was like, this is perfect. This is where I'm going to go. And so while I was there, I was still at, I was still going to church. And so I was still struggling with like letting go because I had been taught that, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. <laughs> I was like, well, I won't go there. But, you know, at the same time, I'm also questioning that, you know, and I'm like, but is my questioning that, you know, the devil trying to trip me up? Like it was just, it just was not a healthy place to be in. And at the same time, I'm at Temple, I'm learning about African religion. It was one of my professors, shout out to Karanja, also shout out to Sekhmet, you know, they were the ones that kind of put me on to like African religion. And I was like, all right, so I'm learning all this stuff. Also shout out to Professor Watts, because he also um, put me on to um, the ancientness, the size and ancientness of Africa is what he was always talking to us about. So he really just put me on to just like how long we have been on this earth um, and all the things that we have developed as a people. And so I'm like, all right, so I'm learning all this, but I'm also still going to church and I'm trying to reconcile these things. And I remember at one point I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And I literally, I like prayed to God. I was like, I need a sign. I need a sign. I need a sign. And I will believe whatever you tell me. Like if somebody just walks up to me, hits me over the head with a Bible and is like, this is what you need to believe, then I'll do it. Like, you know, but I need a sign because I don't know what to do. So three days later, I'm on Temple's campus. You know, I get on the elevator. I'm leaving my last class for the day. And there's this older black woman that gets on the elevator and we greet each other. And there's some other people in the elevator too, but I could tell that she wants to say something to me. So when it's time for us to get off the elevator, she asked me to walk with her and I can tell she's still trying to like figure out how to say something to me. So when it just did not make sense for us to continue to walk together, she was like, listen, I don't know if this is going to make sense to you. I don't know how you're going to take this, but you need to leave that church. And I think I screamed. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. And um, I thanked her, you know, for being, you know, for, for being open and for being obedient to what she said that she felt led to tell me. And I definitely took that as like the sign that I needed. And so I stopped going to church, which was really good because it cleared my headspace. And I just started to learn more about African spirituality, you know, and you have to remember at this time, this is maybe like 2004. So there's not a whole lot online, you know, there's not people on the gram, there's not people on Twitter, you know, Facebook is kind of like just coming out. So it's like not a whole lot of information out there, but whatever I could find, I was reading and not only reading about African spirituality, but just reading about like meditation and using crystals. And I was just, I mean, I was learning about reflexology. It was just this whole new world that was opening up. 
And even though I didn't necessarily have any more answers than I had before, I did have a whole lot more peace. And I just felt like God was leading me to where I needed to be. And I was just committed to trusting that process. And so one day I came across a meetup group and there was a woman, a priestess of Yamoja, who wanted to teach some classes, you know, um, about the Orishas. And so I was really, really excited. And um, she wanted you to contact her. So I contacted her. And I asked her if I could bring some of my friends because when I told them, they were really excited. And so she was like, sure, bring your friends. And then we ended up being the only people there and it was at her house. And so we got to spend the whole day with her. She took her to um, her shrines. She taught us how to greet the Orishas. And we got to just ask like all kinds of questions. So it was just an amazing experience. And then she invited us to a few more things that were going on um, in the community at that time. And, you know, she was very like pressure free. She's like, hey, just come around, you know, come and learn, you know, see if this feels good to you. And I really appreciated that. So that woman became my godmother. Her name is Omi Saide um, Shade Ali. Shout out to her. And, um, once, you know, she became my godmother, then I started to go through the process and the different steps in the in the religion. And this was the 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 religion I'm referring to is the Lukumi tradition of the Orisha tradition. Um, so the Lukumi branch is the Yoruba tradition um that flourished in Cuba. So um a few months later, I was getting my head marked. And it was actually my first reading too. So it was like, it's my first Orisha reading. I'm getting my head marked. So I was like, so, 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 so nervous. And I had no idea what they were going to say. Cause I'm like, who knows? Right. And to be honest, there was a part of me that was a little bit skeptical, um, like in a healthy way, like, you know, not like, you know, I don't believe this, but I just was like, all right, let's see, you know, I'm not just going to believe whatever. And um. So it was me and my two god sisters. So my friends that I had invited to her house for that initial um, meeting, they joined her elay as well. So we were all going together. And this is how I knew that this was real. And this one, it wasn't even my reading. Like my reading, definitely I knew it was real. But the, the way that the readings were done, we did them in age order. So I was the youngest. So I went last. And this is how I knew that this was on point because the diviner, shout out to Danny Obabi, when he was reading one of my God sisters, he looks at the shells, he looks at her, he looks at the shells, he looks at her, he looks at the shells, and he says, the Orishas are telling me, I need to give you your money back. When I tell you my god sister was struggling financially, she really didn't have the money for the reading, but she wanted to do it with us because, you know, we all wanted to do it together. You know how that goes. 
I was like, whoa, how did he know that? <laughs> so it wasn't even my reading. I just like, yo, how did he know that? So I was like, okay, this is real. I'm convinced because there's no, my godmother didn't even know she was struggling. Because even when we were on our way back um, home from his house, my godmother was like, I didn't know you were, you know, she didn't even know. So when I tell you it was amazing, it was amazing. And then when I got my reading, it was just like so many things that were on point. You know, um, uh, old Bobby was like, you know, who's pregnant? I'm like, my sister's pregnant. She's due in two months. It was like, okay, this is what she need to do. And I was like, what? Like, this is amazing. Um, and I just knew, I said, okay, this is real. And one thing that happened that I knew was going to happen was that I was going to be told I needed to initiate right away. And the reason why I knew that is because it used to happen to me at church, not initiation, but it would always be like, you know, you're called to ministry, you're called to ministry. I will go to a new church. I will give you a perfect example. I went to this church one time. It was my very, very first time. And, um, there was a, it was a youth group, like a youth group, young adult group. And I, you know, um, I'm about to walk into the church. This woman sees me, she comes up to me. She's like, one of our youth ministers is not going to be able to make it today. Can you fill in for him? And I'm like, this is my first time here. <laughs> like, like literally this is my, this is my first time here. She's like, oh, that's okay. Like the Lord is putting it on my heart that you need to be the one to help us tonight. I'm like, all right. And like help them out. And after that, you know, the youth pastor wasn't even there, you know, when they were telling me what I needed to do. And so when he comes in and he sees this new person, you know, working and, and doing what needs to be done, you know, he comes up to me at the end and he's like, oh, you know, who are you? <laughs> and um, and then he he asked me to be a part of his staff. And then he actually was starting um, like a youth ministry in the schools. And he asked me to be a part of that. And it, like, I'm like, this is my first time here. And things like that happened to me all the time. when I would visit churches, like for the first time, it would always be somehow the microphone is given to me and I'm supposed to say something. So I was like, I know they're going to tell me I need to initiate. I know they're going to say, I know, I know. And that is what happened. And, you know, I was told in that reading, this time next year, you will be initiated. And at this time, I had not had like gotten, I hadn't done any of the steps that you should do before initiation. So I hadn't gotten a lakes, which are the colorful necklaces that you'll see people in the Yoruba tradition wearing. I hadn't gotten warriors, which is when we receive um, the warrior orishas. I didn't do nothing for Egun yet. I didn't do my ancestral ceremonies yet. I was like, um, okay. The only thing I knew about initiation is I heard you had your hair had to be shaved. You had to wear white. <laughs> and that's all I knew. I was like, okay. And I was like, I knew that was going to happen. So I was already ready. And um, when I tell you that that is exactly what happened. So that reading was October 17th, 2008. I initiated October 10th, 2009. So literally, and then for those in tradition, you know, in Lukumi tradition, when we initiate, we have to be in isolation for a week. 
So if I'm initiating on the 10th, when does my isolation end? On the 17th. So a year, (laughs) a year later, October 17th, 2009, a year after the reading, October 10th, 2008, I was coming out of my week of isolation. So (laughs) shout out to the Orishas, shout out to Egun, shout out to Danny Obabi, because I was like, wow, that was amazing. So, um, so that was 2009. I initiated in Lukumi. My head Orisha is Oshun. Um, and then, ooh, okay. So then in 2012, <laughs> I had to like think about this. So in 2012, um, I meet a Nigerian. Now, so let me just go back a little bit. So there was a ceremony called um, Ifa. When you receive Ifa, um, it's called Kofa or Awofokan. And um, I had been told I needed to receive this ceremony. Um, but, you know, once I initiated and I was able to read my Orishas on my own, I was asking about Babalawos I know because you have to get it from a Babalawo. And I kept getting like, no, 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 no. So I was like, all right, well, I'll just have to wait. Um, so when I met a Nigerian Babalawo, I asked Oshun and she said yes. And. So I ended up receiving um, Ifa through the Nigerian system, which then opened up a whole new world for me because I was told that I needed to initiate to Egungun, which is the ancestral masquerade. And then I needed to initiate to Ifa. So neither of those initiations would be available to me in Lukumi tradition. So. Um, you know, when I was told that I, I checked Oshun, like, you know, Oshun is the one I go to to ask her about things because, you know, her track record is like a hundred percent, like everything Oshun has always told me has like happened. So I went to her to check and make sure that this was legitimate. And she was like, yes. So I ended up initiating to, um, Egungun in 2012 and then Ifa in 2014, um, in Nigeria. So I'm currently initiated in both of those systems and Lukumi, um, as well as Isheshe, which is what many people call the West African Orisha tradition. Um, many times people kind of pit these two traditions together. There have been plenty of people that tell me I need to choose <laughs> between one, like one or the other, like I choose. Um, so I love the fact that we have divination because then divination will just tell you what you need to do. So I went to Ifa and I was like, so Ifa, what should I focus on? Should I focus on Lukumi or should I focus on Isheshe? Ifa was like both. (laughs) I was like, okay, Ifa. (laughs) So I am Lukumi and I'm Isheshe. I do not say I'm Lukumi and I'm not Isheshe. I do not say I'm Isheshe and I'm not Lukumi. I have no need to do that. Um, so I'm initiated in both of those traditions. And then I'm also a practitioner of hoodoo and hoodoo is in my lineage through my maternal grandmother's side. So my grandmother, my mother's mother, she was a root doctor. I didn't know these things until I came into Yoruba tradition though. 
So my mom, when she would see certain things that we were doing, she was like, oh, this reminds me of, this reminds me of. And she was always referring either to my grandmother or to her father, who I never met. He transitioned before I was born. But it was like, once I came into this tradition, into the Yoruba tradition, it was like all of this stuff about my family and how they worked in hoodoo just like came out. And um, because I believe that ancestral veneration is not just like a theoretical thing. It's like, it's really about um, understanding the lineage we come from and then following in the footsteps of our ancestors and the things that they did well, right? Because a lot of times the callings that we have don't deviate too far from what our ancestors were doing. So it was really through like, being introduced to the Yoruba tradition that the hoodoo stuff started to come to the surface and, you know, learning about how my grandmother was a root doctor, you know, how she healed people with herbs. She put my, um, my grandfather's cancer into remission through herbs that she, you know, was, you know, in concoction she was making in her own kitchen. Um, so, Learning these types of things is what helped me to then go deeper into hoodoo and embracing that as well as the Yoruba tradition. And so my experience in African spirituality has really been so beautiful and transformative. You know, no religion, no community is without problems. I would never act like, you know, that, oh, we're all good, we're all perfect, it's all light and love over here. Eh, That's not true. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, I'm just so grateful that my ancestors led me back here. And I'm just so grateful at this like resurgence, like this big return, like so many of us are coming back to our traditions and this is our power. Like this is our strength. One of the biggest lies we have been told is that what our ancestors practiced was evil. And the reason why Europeans want us to believe that is because this is our power, y'all. This is our power. And they want us to think it's evil because they want to use it for themselves. And let me tell you, they use it for themselves. So we can have a whole episode about that. But they are very well aware of the power of our traditions. And this is why they tried to sell us this story that it was evil and that we would go to hell if we practiced it. So that's why I just wanted to share my journey with y'all today. I hope that it's helpful. Um, I do have some episodes planned where I want to go even deeper because, I mean, listen, when we talk about, (laughs) you know, Christianity and African spirituality and that as an intersection, you know, that's like a whole, you could do a series on that. Right. Um, but I also, you know, want to even talk to folks who are struggling, you know, who are maybe in the church and who are feeling that they need to learn more about their ancestors and they need to learn more about African tradition, but they're scared. You know, they they think that, you know, they're going to go to hell. They think that, you know, the devil was trying to trap them or trick them. Let me just tell you that 
I personally believe that God is present in many, 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 many traditions. But when I tell you that there is power here in African spirituality, that there is strength here, that there is freedom here, that there is community here, you find a good community, it is a blessed thing. There is nothing to be fearful of. And anybody who tries to have you in fear is really not serving you. Okay. So always keep that in mind. Um, I am really looking forward to having future episodes um, that talk more about this. Um, definitely going to have some folks on who can talk about their um, conversion experiences as well as like how they intersect um, Christianity and African spirituality. Because we we do know that Christianity comes from African spirituality. The whole Old Testament is African spirituality, but that's going to have to be for another episode. <laughs> but I hope that this was a really helpful episode for you all. Um, feel free to contact me on Instagram and on Twitter. I am Oshun's daughter, O-S-H-U-N-S-D-A-W-T-A. Um, you can also free um, feel free to um, hit me up through email, um, Oshun Shango, O-S-H-U-N-S-H-A-N-G-O at gmail.com as well as Kalunga Healing Arts, K-A-L-U-N-G-A, healingarts at gmail.com. Those are the best places to contact me. I thank you so much for tuning in. Um, There will be another episode in two weeks, so I hope that you will tune in. And peace and blessings to you all. Black power, free to land. Ashe.